Hello and welcome to BJGP Interviews. My name is Ewan Lawson. In this episode, I talk to Professor Brendan Delaney, who's a GP partner and a chair in medical informatics and decision making at Imperial College London. And the paper is Recommendations for the Recognition, Diagnosis and Management of Long COVID, a Delphi Study. Now, obviously, there's an urgent need to devise clinical pathways and guidance for long COVID and to help manage the substantial proportion of patients who seem to be affected. I started by asking Brendan to tell us a little bit more about what they did and why. A bunch of us um, on a Facebook group uh, called Doctors Hash Long COVID, um, who got together in May, June 2020, had been gradually growing the group and comparing our own experiences and successful treatments or unsuccessful treatments, uh, what helped and what didn't help, how to avoid um, crashing and how to pace, for example, that kind of thing. Um, so about the end of the year, we were expecting NICE to come up with um, something that would be really helpful for GPs um, and very practical. Um, but of course, NICE can't do that because NICE is going to rely on um, appraisal of research studies and evidence and actually at that point particularly is absolutely nothing in this but a lot of experience of clinical experience so um, we got together and, uh, and thought well can't we do something that gives some guidance um, as to you know, what's, what's best practice clinically um, from an experience point of view and I then um, suggested to, to uh, my uh, colleagues uh, in the group that we could, should do it formally using a Delphi process, which is a, a way of seeking um, uh, formal consensus around a series of very car carefully crafted statements. Um, so we, we carried that out quite carefully. And, and essentially, the, the, it works in you get a small group, sit together and, and come up with statements that are the starting point and some discussion around them. And then you go out to a larger group and say, what do you think of these? And you have a Likert scale that says agree, disagree, you, know, you would have. And they can put whether they agree or disagree, and they can put comments down. So people will either say, yeah, I completely agree, fine. Or they say, no, I disagree with this statement. And I think you could improve it by taking this bit out, qualifying that. You haven't considered this. Um, and then we get that back. We set a threshold of 80%. They hit that threshold, they're accepted. They go into the uh, list. The ones that aren't, group sits down and we try and re-edit them and um, come up with uh, a version that meets the comments that have been made by the group and that goes out to another round and then you finally have a final round where the only statements that are included are the ones that have passed the 80% threshold. Um, so it's a, it's a robust mechanism developed by the RAND Corporation for seeking professional consensus from an expert group. So you have an expert group who are people running clinics and a large group of doctors who've been dealing with long COVID um, based around what you should be doing. With it. A Delphi process particularly well suited to this kind of situation where we've, as you say, we're, we're lacking the research evidence we might, you know, an organisation that NICE would fall back on. And in your Delphi study this time, 33 clinicians representing 14 specialities um, coming to a consensus on 35 recommendations in total. So quite a lot of recommendations and they're tremendously useful. We can't possibly go through them all now. So perhaps what I might ask you to do, Brendan, if you can, is maybe you could highlight some of the main areas that primary care needs to think about when it comes to long COVID. 
The first thing, uh, when you have a patient comes um, and you think they've got long COVID or they think they've got long COVID, I think it's been more likely the situation these days, um, is that you you don't want to do any harm and you want to pick up stuff that is important. So it's just high quality general practice. It's taking the patient as an individual, listening to them carefully, um, thinking widely about a range of potential differential diagnoses and not assuming it's long COVID and therefore you must do X, Y, and Z. So thinking of things like um, heart disease, stroke, cancer, other causes for things you know, like malaise, weight loss, fatigue, all that kind of thing. Yeah, we don't need to educate this audience beyond that. We all, we all experience GPs, so we know what those are, but not to forget that. Um, and starting that process. Secondly, um, to give the patient some initial advice, particularly around pacing, so that they're not making themselves more ill. Um, because um, in long COVID, uh, it's one of those conditions where you get post-exertional symptom exacerbation. And that exertion can either be physical, emotional, or cognitive. Um, since a lot of patients, uh, we don't know why, but it may be because of exposure or whatever, but our teachers, doctors, nurses, that kind of thing, um, there tend to be a time of professions where people just work through illness. Uh, and make themselves worse um, or they exercise a lot and they need to be told stop <laughs> you know think about the relationship between what you do a couple of days you've done and a couple of days later and how you feel and ease right off just rest and, and don't get these exacerbations which are all the symptoms coming in it's not just fatigue um, so to give them a recognition that they can do that and to sign them off substantially from work actually uh, and, and that basis um, and thirdly to see them examine them and start finding out what kind of symptoms they've got and how that may be helped and whether we need to do further investigations yeah okay so there's um i mean i, I must say that i think the the uh, the the guidance is very practical and clear and i think that comes from your background as well as a gp partner i think so that i think general practitioners and other primary care clinicians reading this are going to find this tremendously useful there were a couple of areas that jumped out at me reading it that I thought we might just tackle in the time we have, which was related to um, dysautonomia and um, mast cell disorders. And I wonder if you could just talk about them briefly. I think it was probably about four or five years ago. I, I saw a patient, um, a young woman who'd been referred via a special, private specialist clinic with a diagnosis of POTS. Um, and I looked at her and thought, what on earth is that? Um, and I, I think many of us will have a similar uh, reactions with that. Um, so to deal with that first, dysautonomia is, is as the name, it's a, a poorly functioning autonomic nervous system, primarily um, um, presenting with cardiovascular instability. So you, as in POTS, postural orthostatic tachycardia syndrome, that you get, you stand up after a few minutes heart rate goes high, but blood pressure doesn't drop. So it's not a response to postural hypotension, but it's an inappropriate tachycardic response. So patients typically say, um, my heart rate's going everywhere. It's bouncing all over the place. Um, and um, sometimes I'm sweating and I feel unwell um, and uh, my pulse is racing. And, and automatically we'll be thinking, oh, you're anxious. Um, and they tend to get misdiagnosed um, as anxiety. But it's an increasingly commonly recognised condition. 
um, particularly in, in the US, and can be treated. Um, and we, we can talk about that perhaps in a minute and treat it for some fairly practical things that, uh, that kind of GPs can do. So recognition is really important. We've given a link in the paper to uh, dysautonomia.org, which has lots of information and resources. Um, but there are guides for patients, there are guides for clinicians, there's some videos, some blogs, some information sheets, all that kind of thing. But you also get a range of other type of dysautonomia things. So GI disturbance, um, diarrhea, bloating, uh, difficulty with gastric emptying, poor sleep, all this kind of thing, um, erectile dysfunction even. Um, so ask widely uh, around that. Um, what's the cause of it? Because it's a kind of one of these middle symptom things. It's, it's a, perhaps a mechanism, a physiological mechanism that expresses itself in certain symptoms. But what are the causes? Well, the biggest groups are people with Ehlers-Danlos syndrome, for example, um, where there seems to be a genetic predisposition uh, for doing that. And a range of chronic diseases, connective tissue disorders, things, and post-viral syndromes, um, which seem to be quite a large cause. Um, it's particularly possibly to be um, one of the main etiologies, maybe an autoimmune disease. Um, and there's some suggestions that there are um, antibodies to certain cardiovascular receptors, for example. And it, it, it may be that the SARS-CoV-2 virus is creating an autoantibody kind of storm, which we know is a big mechanism for people who end up on ICU. But my suspicion with long COVID is that there are people who've got a similar sort of mechanism. The virus is hiding itself by creating lots and lots of interacting antibodies and stuff as a survival mechanism. But they're not bad enough to put you in ICU, but they make you feel damn sick for a, for a year or two. Um, I think that's possibly what's underlying it, but we need the fancy immunology stuff to, uh, to do that. Meanwhile, we've got the practical problem. We've got symptoms that the patient needs managing. Okay, that's um, absolutely fascinating area to get into. And obviously, we're very new for a lot of GPs. I should get you to tell us a little bit about the mast cell disorders. I'll, I'll acknowledge a personal um, interest uh, here. I mean, I'm very typical um, of the kind of people. I, I had a lot of childhood atopy. I had an eczema and hay fever and asthma as a, as a child and kind of grew out of it um, as an adult. Um, and uh, what I found um, after getting COVID in, in March of 2020 was I was absolutely fine at week two. Um, I had a grumbly symptoms first week, a bit of a chesty cough the second week. Felt great. Went out on my bike, did a quick 40 miles um, and thought, yeah, great, I'm over it. Next morning, wham, I could hardly breathe. Um, I had skin rash. Um, I had... Um, reflux and, and this just went on so i had fever urticarial rashes um inability to digest food so i would eat at lunchtime and i was still completely full and refluxing sort of in the middle of the night um with, with stuff and, and and breathlessness uh so i was reading around and trying to work out what's due my gp didn't know what earth was going on he said well you've had covid why aren't you better <laughs> much of this and I, and I gradually found out that people were having similar symptoms and were getting diagnosed with mast cell disorder which is an overactivity of our mast cells which release histamine plus a load of other um, substance mediators and things um, of, that, of that nature and that you can suppress these by double dose H1 and H2 blockade 
um, not just for the um, sort of skin and bowel symptoms, but actually affect all the other things like sleep disturbance and uh, breathlessness and cognitive function and things as well. But you have to do it over months rather than just a quick instant and involves avoiding alcohol, um, low histamine diet, all these kind of things, and they do help. Um, so I went from um, a period of time where, I, you know, sort of summer last year, where I was trying to, trying to attend a conference online and I was looking at the presentations and I couldn't even work out what language people were speaking in, let alone <laughs> work out what conference was. My brain just wasn't functioning. So actually getting back to a more, because of a gradual, more, more routine academic and clinical function. Um, and I put a large part of that down to treating the mast cell disorder. I've tried coming off it since, and I, for about a month, and I had to go back on it again. Um, so A to P, history, um, uh, demographism is a quick test you can do with patients, um, and the thing shows it up in a lot. Um, sleep disturbance, GI disorder, wheeze, urticaria are the main features. The paper covers all the things we might otherwise expect as well around cardiovascular, cardiac, cardiac complications, respiratory complications as well. Any final thoughts, Brendan, that you might in terms of, you know, how we're approaching long COVID or how it ties into other um, uh, other conditions that we're trying to tackle at the same time? For people who've taken an interest in the medical treatment of patients with NE or chronic fatigue syndrome, there will see an olive overlap, particularly in the POTS a mast cell area. Um, so I, I think um, maybe as we do more research on what's causing those things, then it will actually improve the management of people with other post-viral syndromes. But COVID has an extra layer of complications on top, which is why we've really stuck with the long COVID uh, thing here very much in that you've got specific organ disorders. You know, you've got new onset diabetes, you've got um, neurological issues. Um, you've got radiculopathies, um, you've got uh, a whole range of cardiac stuff, myocarditis, pericarditis and things as well um, that can be picked up on, on MRI scans and things. And, and we don't know the long-term sequelae of those. You know, we know they affect people. We know people, for example, with chest pain um, need cardiological investigation as part of it. And there's the whole um, clotting disorder side of things, you know, microvascular emboli, all that kind of thing. We had a patient that practiced with a large pulmonary embolus a few months ago. Um, what my colleagues have been looking after with long COVID. So you've got all these other major, very clear-cut physical things going on top, which in the UK we put all together as long COVID. Um, and I think NICE are probably going to come around eventually more to a US perspective where they say, you know, if you've got post- SARS-CoV-2 myocarditis, that's not long COVID thing, that's a specific disorder. I think gradually these things will get split out and we'll probably end up with a group of patients with a post-viral syndrome related to SARS-CoV-2, who may be more like the patients with other post-viral syndromes we're seeing. I mean, Anthony Fauci said as much a few months ago. Yeah, understood. So it's all going to take a little bit of teasing out as time goes by, isn't it? But some incredibly useful and practical um, and thorough guidance here. Um, that's been really helpful today. Thank you very much. You're welcome. Thank you very much for listening to this BJGP podcast. The original research papers and articles can be found at bjgp.org. The show notes and podcast audio can be found at bjgplife.com. Do share if you've enjoyed it. 
subscribe via all the usual places, including Apple Podcasts, Google, Spotify, or your podcaster of choice. Thanks again. <laughs>